Good morning and welcome to Family Bible Church. I know that you're sitting in your living room and perhaps lying in your bed watching this. And what a great way it is comfortably to study the Word of God together. Appreciate your patience during this time. Studying online is not the same as getting together with the people of God, but we must do what we must do. So my friends, let's study the Word of God together. And I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. And let's pray together. No, really, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now, God, as we study your word, that we learn this very important truth about ourselves and about our relationship with you. God, it is my prayer that you will be glorified even though we are spread throughout this community and perhaps around the world. I pray, God, that people will be encouraged. I pray that we will be able to take steps of obedience to you in a way that honors you and encourages others around us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. In 1933, you may recall, those of you that were there, for I certainly was not. Anyway, in 1933, the Great Depression had reached its depth, and Franklin Roosevelt's first inaugural address was famed for the line, and we've all heard it, The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Unfortunately, most of us only know that line from his address. But I'll tell you what, my friends, he really hit the nail on the head with that speech. For fear, he suggested, would drag us away from the most important steps necessary to make the kind of advances that would deliver the country from depression. Fear as a distraction. Hmm, consider it for just a moment. It was said of his inaugural address that it took on an unusually solemn and religious quality. And I'll tell you, I know that when I read this speech, it made me think of something that Jesus taught in the book of Matthew, and in particular, chapter 6, where Jesus addresses the danger of giving into fear and anxiety. And he gives us four reasons why, as, why we as well ought to take steps to overcome it. So four reasons why we need to uh, not give in to fear and anxiety and some steps to take to overcome fear and anxiety. So take a look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. You will notice that Jesus says, in giving us this, this list that we will discover here of why we need to stop worrying why anxiety needs to be kicked out the door. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see, what Jesus says from the very beginning here that we must understand, my friends, is that life is more important than physical things. 
Perhaps we don't know enough about life to understand that. The purpose of our life. I wonder, have you ever taken a moment to consider what your life's purpose actually is? I know some of you may have studied this in school, but I'm asking about you in particular. How has God designed you in such a very specific way to accomplish a very particular purpose. And I'll tell you this, my friend, anxiety and fear only keeps it from us. And so reason number one, why you need to stop worrying. Life is more important than physical things. What we are here to accomplish as the church matters a whole lot whether or not you your belly is full. Life is more important than the physical. And secondly, you will notice here in verse 26, Jesus says, I mean, look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet, don't miss this, your heavenly Father feeds them. And then Jesus says this, are you not more important than birds? Are you of not more value than they are? Now, in the Greek here, the expectation is that you answer yes. You matter more than birds. So if God is taking care of them, my friends, I guarantee he will take care of you. With Jesus continuing on this, this list of why we must stop worrying. Why anxiety has no place in the life of a Christian. And in verse 27, we find the third reason. And the third reason is this. It doesn't matter how much you worry. It won't make a single bit of difference. You can pace the floors. You can walk up and down the stairs. You can walk through the neighborhood stomping down the street and it will make no difference whatsoever. Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? The expected answer here. None of us. Worry gets you nowhere. Perhaps a little quicker to the grave, but certainly not lengthening your life. So my friends, we've got to stop worrying. Life is more important than physical things. And all of nature depends on God and he never fails. If God takes care of birds, my friend, he's going to take care of you. Thirdly, worry will not improve your circumstances one bit. Not one bit. There is no pro pro progress in anxiety. And finally, here we see the fourth reason why you need to stop this worry and anxiety and stress. Notice in verse 28. Where Jesus says, why are you anxious about clothing? I mean, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
and they neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Jesus just connected anxiety with unbelief. My friends, you need to stop worrying because worrying is functional atheism. You pace the floor and act as if there is no God. And if he is, he could care less about you contrary to what he has said. My friends, if you are worrying and panicking, pacing the floors, you testify to everyone around you. There is a God or there is a God who does not care. Consider that for just a moment. Therefore, Jesus says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we wing, uh, drink, or what shall we wear? Have I convinced you that the Word of God says that it is a sin, and that we need to stop the worry right now? Go ahead and hit pause and reread your copy of the Scriptures. And see if Jesus hasn't just said these things. I'll wait. Okay, time to move on. Well, my friends, as we reach the second aspect of this sermon, the second point of Jesus talking about anxiety, he doesn't just leave us with a stop. He tells us exactly how we can stop the worry. Step one, I'll give you a moment to find that writing instrument and a place to write. Step one, how to stop your worry. Look at verse 32. Jesus says to remind yourselves of the promises of God. In verse 32, Jesus says, for the Gentiles seek after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. Reason number one, remind yourself of this promise, that God knows your needs. He has not overlooked them. I know that you are pacing the floor, rocking and rolling as you're trying to sleep, tossing and turning. But my friends know this, God knows your needs. He is not up in heaven too busy to see what's going on with you. God knows your needs. He is aware of it. And as he has promised, he will meet those needs. And so promise one, number one that we would look at is our Heavenly Father knows our needs. Promise number two we would find in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 where we read, and God is able to make all grace abound to you 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The grace of God is able to cause you to abound, my friend. And look at all the alls in that statement. God is able to make all grace abound so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's grace will enable you to endure. Trust him. Trust him. Reason number three, how to stop. How to stop worry. Know the promises of God. Philippians chapter 4 in verse 19, where we read, And my God, is he your God? And my God will supply every need of yours. And how will he do it? According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And how riches are the glories of God? There is no way on our best day that we could potentially imagine the great riches that God has for us. And out of those riches, according to his riches, my friends, he will supply every need. Trust him. Remember the promises of God. And finally, in this first step of reminding ourselves of the promises of God, we get to Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, where Paul writes to the church, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, don't miss this, verse 32 of Romans chapter 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? These are promises, my friend, that God has made to you. You who have put your faith in Jesus Christ have the promises of God to hold on to in difficult times. Whatever your stressor may be, my Remember the promises of God. But then in verse 33, we notice that Jesus moves into a different direction. Having reminded us of the promises of God, that our Heavenly Father knows our needs and is able and willing and has promised to meet them. Jesus gives us this directive. Perhaps you've heard it. Perhaps you've memorized it. I think they even wrote a song about this verse. But have you ever considered it? Jesus said, even above all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things Food to eat, clothes to wear, something to drink, whatever it is you are concerned about. 
Jesus says, all these things will be added to you. What Jesus is saying here is that we need to realign our priorities. Instead of being concerned about ourselves and our condition and our circumstances and our calendars and all of the threats that may be around us, what we need to do is get our attention back where it needs to be. Putting first the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It is the rule of God in our lives. What is it that God has called you to do? You do these things. You get on it. What Jesus is saying here is, you take care of my business, I'll take care. You don't worry about the food and the drink and the clothes and all of the needs that you have and wondering and what will happen and what could be. You get your mind on the things of God and what he has called you to do. And he will take care of you. Trust him. And summing it up in verse 34, Jesus says, Therefore, in light of all of these reasons why we need to stop worrying and how we can stop worrying, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The very fact is the things you worry about most, most likely, are things that will never happen. We go to extremes in our heads, my friends. Oh, what if the sky falls? How about this? You get your eyes on your world today. You spend time thinking about what it is God would have you do today. And let him look out for you. Honor him with your faith, my friends. Do you really want to be a functional atheist? I don't think so. I know I don't. So my friends, a passage that you might want to hide in your heart is Isaiah 26 and verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You know where the peace comes from? Faith in God. Faith in what Jesus has promised. Trust him. That brings peace. I think the King James Version Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. It is an issue of the thoughts, my friends. Take every thought captive. Get your mind on the promises of God and the priorities of God, and you will overcome your fears. So let's wrap it up here. Wrapping it up here. Bible to go. Sermon in a sentence. Here it is. Fear keeps you from trusting God and distracts you from serving him. Fear will take you away from the priorities of God.
you must take these steps. And how do we do it? You ever hear the one about how do you get to uh, Carnegie Hall? <laughs> Fellow was just simply asking directions, but the answer is this. Practice, practice, practice. Every day, guarding your thoughts, focusing on what is true and what is good and what is holy and what is pure and what God has promised for those who trust him. Practice the truths. Practice the focus on promises. Realigning your priorities. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it for the glory of God? Or is it out of panic? And finally, look, many of you are just stuck at home. Today, perhaps, is a great day and a great opportunity for you and your family members or simply by yourself to start internalizing the promises of God. Memorize the promise of God. And by doing so, you will remind yourself that he is able and that he is faithful. No fear, my friends. No fear, no anxiety when you're trusting in Let's pray together. Father, you are good. And we are forgetful. And we are quick to forget the good that you have done in our life and the ways that you have shown your great power and your great care for us. So God, forgive us of this functional atheism in which we live like you don't exist. Change our minds, God, I pray. That we might change the way that we live. That we might be useful in your hands. That, God, we might be a positive influence in a world that is afraid. Help us to live out our faith, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And my friends, if you are not trusting Christ today, I want to encourage you to do that. There are four things that you must know. Hearing all that I have said here today will mean nothing if you don't understand these four truths. And the first truth is this. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every last person that lived on this world, on this earth, save Jesus himself, is a sinner. And sin is a rebellion against God. The very nature of sin is, is uh, demonstrated with the word I. I want this. I'll do what I want. It's why we lie, we steal, and we cheat. Every last one of us is sinners. That's bad news. That's a really bad news. But it's really not that big of a surprise, is it? I mean, after all, we buy locks for our doors. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember the police would loan out these kits so you can carve on the back of your TV, you know, your social security number or your name and address because someone might steal it. It's not a surprise that we're all sinners. Certainly not a surprise that you are. 
is it? But I'll tell you the bad news gets worse. The bad news is this, that the wages of sin is death. And what is death? Death, everybody thinks they know death is separation. If anybody that you know, a family member, a friend has died, you know the great separation involved with that. Gone. Oh, my friends, the death that the Bible talks about is spiritual death that follows physical death. And what is that? It means separation from God. Spiritual death is eternal separation from God's goodness, his kindness, his compassion, his love, all that is good and all that we long for in this world comes from God. And there is a, a name for such a separation, and it is hell. And so we are all sinners, and we are all, because of it, deserving of hell eternal separation from God. That's some bad news. But my friends, oh, there is great news. There is good, good news. And the good news is this. Consider this. The wages of sin is death. And yet, Christ, Jesus, died on the cross for our sin. He died in our place. He was our substitute. He took the penalty of death on himself that we might live. That's some good news, eh? Well, just like the bad news got worse, my friends, the good news gets better. Do you know what it is that God would have you to do in light of these three truths? Put your trust in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, faith has two aspects to it. One is dependence. To trust in someone means to depend upon them. That when they say something, they will do it. We talked about that a lot this morning. Dependence upon God. When God says that if you trust in him, he will forgive you, do you trust him for that? Do you accept his words as true? That's the first part. The second part is depending on it. That's action. Faith is action. You must take action if you believe these things. See, the good news is that Christ died for our sin and he rose from the dead. And my friends, you simply need to put your faith in him and he will forgive your sins. The second aspect of faith is not just dependence, my friends. It is deferring control to him. Think about that. You ever ride in a car with someone you've never ridden in a car before and you wonder if they know how to drive? A little scary. But sitting in that seat is faith. Trusting them to follow the rules of the road to get you where you need to be. Deferring control to God. That is faith. 
So if you want to trust in Christ right now, and perhaps you've already made that decision in your mind, that's what you want. The forgiveness of sins, the cleansing of sin. One of the ways you can express that faith is simply tell God that you're trusting in Jesus, that you believe his death was enough to cover the cost of your sin, that you want to live a new life. That would be a way of acting in faith. Pray a little prayer, perhaps. There's no magic words for this. But simply asking God to forgive your sin based on what Jesus did. And your life will begin anew. A rebirth, the Bible says. A new life of faith. Trust him today.